Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. I'm Kim Grinnells of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund, where Washington travels to Tucson to take on the 4-1 Arizona Wildcats. Arizona losing their first game of the year against Hawaii. A lot of you may have seen that. They did look good, but since then, they've gone on a four-game winning streak. And um, Washington has seemed to have funny stuff happen down in the desert. All Not all necessarily bad. I remember the long pass from... Um, was it Isaiah Stanback to Craig Chambers? Was that who he threw that to? At yes, the end it of the was. Half? Yep. Yeah, going way back at the end of the half. But uh, Chris, you've been down here enough to know that funny things happen down here. I have, but mostly it's because it's happened in Tempe with Arizona State. I mean, Washington hasn't won in Arizona State since, I don't know, since the, you know, <laughs> since World War II. I, I, I literally can't even remember the last time they won a game down there. But, yeah, it, there's no question. For some reason, something in the desert, I don't know what it is, lack of water, whatever, I have no idea. All I know is that I asked Jason Shear that, and you talked to Jason, the publisher of Wildcat Authority, and he couldn't really come up with an answer either, and they've talked about it. He's talked about it with other beat members down there, and they're not really sure exactly why it's been a problem for Washington, but it has. Weird things have happened, um, even in 2016 when they made it to the to the playoff semifinal against Alabama. They had a really wacky game down there in Arizona, where it took Levon Coleman to run for almost 200 yards to uh, help them win that game, and it took him to overtime. So, yeah, I mean, it, I think you can fully expect the unexpected on uh, uh, on Saturday night. Second week in a row. I'm pretty sure this is a grass field they'll be playing on. So second week in no, a row. No, no, it's it, turf. It, it is turf. Okay. Yes. Kind of mm. surprises me, but um, you know the weather shouldn't be a factor. It's supposed to be pretty moderate down here uh, for the game, but you know temperatures in the mid to high 70s to start the game, and it'll probably cool down to about 70 by um, you know towards the second half. But I don't think weather should be too much of an issue down here, Scott. Yeah, you know, and and the Huskies said they've been practicing indoors, and they turned up the heat in there, and and so I don't I don't think weather or humidity or lack of it or heat or whatever you want to say is going to play any factor in this game. If Washington wins or loses its game, it's going to be on how they decide to play. Well, yeah, Kim, Kim, before before I was going to say before you've been down for a couple of days because you had to go from Pac-12 Media Day down to Phoenix. You've been down there. I mean. Tell us a little bit about what you're experiencing. Well, I'm down in Phoenix. I'm not down in Tucson. Tucson's about an hour and a half uh, south of here. Weather shouldn't be that much different, but the weather's, I mean, it's warm, but it's not uncomfortable by any means. And, you know, you always hear the joke that it's a dry heat. It is. It feels different. You know, if it's 90 here, you know, it probably feels more like 80 in Seattle because of the humidity. So it's not that bad and it's not that big of a deal, but 
Um, you know, uh, talking to Jason, you know, Sheer uh, from Wildcat Authority, eight o'clock start. They're used to late starts down here. Eight o'clock game, they're used to 7.30 games. It just means another half hour for them to tailgate in the parking lot. Expecting not a sellout down there, a decent crowd, but he says if Arizona's down at halftime, you're going to see what you see a lot at Washington. People leave at halftime, so don't be surprised. And, Chris, you've been in that stadium, too. It's not really loud. All the noise goes straight up and out, so not really that loud down at Arizona. It's uh, Yeah, it's not a huge stadium either. So, yeah, I mean, it, there's no question that it's, it's not really built to, like, keep – noise in for instance so yeah i mean it, it, i think they will have some moments there where some noise will probably play a factor a little bit but i mean if you look at the attendance of the games that they played at home with northern arizona texas tech and ucla i mean you're looking at forty thousand or less in all three games uh against ucla they had thirty-eight thousand. so i i couldn't tell you in terms of whether or not that's going to be a big deal for Washington in terms of the noise. It certainly is going to be louder than it was at Stanford. Um, and then the time thing is going to be interesting too because now, because Washington played at 7.30 on Saturday night last weekend, they play 8 o'clock Saturday night, it's you know it's negligible in terms of the time difference. So I think that should play to Washington's benefit because they don't literally don't have to change anything in terms of their schedule. Chris, this was a tough loss against Stanford. You had a chance to meet with Coach Pete on Monday, Coach Pete again on Thursday, and the offensive staff as well. Or was it? did you meet with the defensive staff? Defense. I met with the defensive guys. Yeah, you met with the defensive guys and player. Just, you know, if your eyes are closed and you had to describe just the mentality and maybe, you know, state of where this team and coaching staff is at mentally, how would you describe it? I think there's probably some moments of frustration for them, for sure, in terms of the lack of execution in all phases, except for perhaps special teams. Like Coach Peterson said on Monday, he thought it was kind of a push between what they did and Stanford did, which I think is fair. Um, but, you know, you talk to guys like Jimmy Lake, Pete Kwiatkowski, Kaika Malloy on Tuesday. You talk to Coach Pete on Thursday. You just get the sense that, you know, they've had to really – kind of keep the con- the boat moving, so to speak. They've kind of had to keep making sure that things are going forward and they don't get stuck in that kind of that human nature thing of dwelling on a bad result. And uh, we'll see how good you know they've been able to live by that kind of t- quote unquote 24 hour rule, getting that kind of out of their out of the way so they can push forward and move on. I also get the sense that, and Scott can probably talk a little bit more about this in terms of the players, but I, I get the sense that they're a little frustrated and also a little pissed off about how things went. And um, I don't know if that meant they were overlooking Stanford, but um, you know, Washington's been really, really good, guys, under Chris Peterson when it's come to having to bounce back from things. And, and I'm certainly expecting um, a response at the very least Saturday night. Scott, we had a chance to take a look at the video that Hugh Millen produced. And if you haven't had a chance to look at it, really good stuff. But, um, 
you know, he was breaking down a lot of what the offense did, but I had a long conversation with Hugh just about some of the stuff that was going on the defensive side of the ball, too. And one of the things that you noticed, I noticed, and I think everybody noticed was how deep they were playing Miles Bryant against a team like Stanford, especially when Stanford didn't have that big deep threat that, you know, a lot of other teams do. You know, and he had a discussion about, you know, it's just easier to come up than it is to go back. He compared it to being like a center fielder coming in on the ball as opposed to going back on the ball. But it's another thing to have the center fielder start at the warning track. But when I had a chance to talk to Jason Shear, you know, he said that the key to this game, you know, how most of the teams have been able to contain Arizona is to shut down their running game and force Khalil Tate to beat you with his, you know, staying in the pocket and the passing game. But with Washington's base defense playing nickel and dime quite a bit, is that any concern for you? Yes, it absolutely is. You know, um, Arizona has some really good wide receivers that'll keep them busy, but their their tailbacks are really, really good. We still don't know. I, I don't know. I haven't seen a depth chart yet, or I shouldn't say a depth chart, a, an injury report at all. Are they still thinking J.J. Taylor is 50-50? Yeah, but, you know, according to Jason, it doesn't really matter. They're four deep, and there's not a drop-off. Yeah. He's just a little bit different style runner, and you remember this, Scott. J.J. Taylor came out at the same time Sean McGrew did, and you know as well as I do, there was some on the Washington staff that liked J.J. Taylor better than Sean McGrew. Yes, they did. They did. Absolutely did. But uh, all that matters is, did Keith Bonifaw or did did uh, Chris Peterson? And did J.J. Taylor like Washington that much? So I think it's a lot more than just the Husky coaches making a choice. It isn't like they just sat there and said, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, this is the one I want. You know, it isn't always that way. But, you know, they've got Gary Brightwell. They've got Taylor, obviously. They've got Darius Smith. They've got Nathan Tilford. I mean, they have they have some really good tailbacks in that in that Arizona backfield. And you know, Washington hasn't done a good job of stopping the run at this point. Now they've struggled against more physical guys instead of the smaller guys. And so I guess that's where I'm kind of wondering if if this defense will be able to get stops and and do what they need to do. So um, I think Washington. It really does need to load up on the run and make Khalil Tate, who is an average passer. He's not a great passer. Even though he has put up some nice numbers, he's not a great passer. Get him and don't let him get out of the out of the pocket because if he gets out of the pocket, I know he's not running like he did that one year. What was it, 2017, yeah. where he ran, where, where he just blew up and, and had all those yards and everything. He isn't doing that anymore in uh, Mike Sullivan's offense. But, um, you know, I – if you don't keep your lanes and, and keep your discipline on where you're going and pass rushing, he's going to hurt you with his legs. So they can't let that happen. But I think if you make him sit back there and try to pick you apart, I don't think that's a winning formula for Arizona. And Chris, do you think Washington has the capability? Because like I said, they're a nickel. I mean, that's almost their base. Do you think there's a chance that they could bring in that extra linebacker, that extra defensive lineman and sell out to the run and make Khalil Tate beat them? Um, you know, in the air, in the pocket. And just if those who aren't aware, Khalil Tate's been dealing with a hamstring issue and he hasn't been as mobile as he has in the past. So keeping him in the pocket, you know, is going to be, you know, key, but it's not going to be as hard as it once was. But again, do they have the ability to bring in that extra uh, lineman, extra linebacker to stop the run? 
Well, I asked Chris Peterson uh, Thursday, you know, how are you going to pick your poison? How do you how do you approach a program where you know look at Arizona's offense, guys? They've had multiple games where they've run for over three hundred yards, and then they've had you know Khalil Tate throw for a career high four hundred yards plus at Colorado in their last game. So clearly he's feeling it. He he's confident. He's he's on a roll right now. And Chris Peterson said flat out, he goes, it starts with stopping the run first. You stop the run, then you make that you force them into a decision. Now, I, I don't know if I agree hundred percent with Scott in terms of Khalil Tate as a passer. I think he can definitely get some things done for sure. Uh, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's a huge strong point for them, but when he's throwing for four hundred plus, he's getting something done. And I wonder, you know, I don't know if they're going to go extra, you know, big in terms of the box, Kim, but would it surprise me if they start nickel and then bring a guy like Miles Bryant or Asa Turner or someone else down in the box to, you know, maybe counteract some of the, some of the rundowns and some of the other things where they can kind of force those guys into third and long situations. Like they did with Taylor Rapp quite a bit. Yeah, they could do that. I mean, they've got, guys in the in the defensive backfield that can do that i mean we haven't really seen much of isaiah gilchrist um you know was this is this situation where he could do some things again turner he's already burned his red shirt get him more on the field you know you never know he's a rangy guy he can he can do a lot of things i wonder how aggressive jimmy lake's going to be in in terms of at the line of scrimmage what they're going to try to do because they they did some things and were somewhat successful uh at you against usc doing some of that stuff um, but Scott's right about one thing for sure. You cannot allow Khalil Tate to dictate things and get out of the pocket because I think he's really good on the run, whether he's throwing the ball or not. And if you look at the way Noel Mazzoni's offense is run at Arizona, they've got a lot of those RPO styles where he will hold on to that mesh point with the running back a long time. And it's very hard to hold your water as a defender waiting for him to make a decision and especially if they're not if Washington's not getting a ton of rush on him and he can just kind of sit there and wait while the receivers are getting open and doing some things down the field I mean that's a dangerous dangerous game for Washington they need to get upfield they need to get in his get in his grill but they need to do it in a way where they're not leaving huge lanes for him to run around in and Scott, when you take a look at what Khalil Tate did against Colorado, and if you're the offensive coordinator at Arizona looking at the Washington defense, the first thing you're going to notice, I'm sure, is the type of athletes Washington has in the secondary are a completely different type of animal than you're going to face against what they faced against UCLA, Hawaii, as well as Colorado last week. But if Washington's going to play that soft zone, as we saw last week, that could create a lot of problems for the Washington defense as well. Uh, well, absolutely. And like Chris mentioned earlier, you know, uh, Khalil Tate threw the ball to 11 different guys last week. So, you know, it he's got no problem spreading the ball around a little bit. And, and if he does that, it's going to be a long day for the Huskies and for Husky fans sitting there watching the game. So they've got to get after them. They've got to figure out a way to get some pressure on the quarterback. Luckily, it is on turf, a surface that Washington is used to playing on, and they just do not play well on grass. I I, I know that you know Chris Peterson has kind of poo-pooed it and 
most of the coaches when we've when we've talked to them have kind of poo-pooed it but i don't care it, every time i see the huskies playing grass it, they're they're slower they don't play as well and i don't think they're used to the fitting footing i don't think they're confident Joe Tryon needs to have his presence felt. Leatu Latu needs to have his presence felt. Ryan Bowman, they need to have their presence felt, and they have to get quarter. They have to get pressure on him, because you know, like you know, okay. I, I guess I overstated. I'm not saying that Khalil Tate isn't at least an adequate quarterback. If you give him time, he's going to be able to pick you apart. But he's just not a guy who's going to be able to you know, thread those needles and that isn't his his thing. When when I was watching the Colorado game last week, there were guys just wide open running all over the place. Washington can't allow that to happen. If it doesn't happen, I think you could get a pick or two and then that changes the whole face of this game. And Chris, one of the things that really stood out to me against Stanford was the defensive guys, the linemen and the linebackers, as well as the safeties, just inability to get off the blocks. They just weren't able to shed them. And when you talked to Chris Peterson, he talked a lot about that having to do with fundamentals. And I'm guessing that they did a lot of work on fundamentals and shedding blocks this week in practice. You would hope so. I mean, there's no question they needed to, to be better in that area. And you're going up against an Arizona uh, offensive line that's only giving up sacks at less than one and a half a game. That's not going to cut it. Um, and a lot of that, of course, has to do with Khalil Tate and his elusiveness, getting the rid of the ball quickly. Um, some of the hesitation that defensive fronts might face. Again, when Tate's at that mesh point with the running back, he might pull it and then run around and throw the ball. These are things that, that they've all done very effectively. This is a very high-powered offense that Washington's going to be facing, for sure. And so you're not going to be able to stop them all the time. But I think at least early in the game against Stanford, they showed that they could bend a little bit but not break. Now they had the busted coverage with Keith Taylor and Cameron Williams. That was obvious. You know, They, they certainly can't have those kind of busts at all because that, that'll be, that'll, that's curtains if you do something like that. But again, if they can get those stops where they can just kind of if they force Arizona into long fields where they have to execute all the time and then they get inside that red zone and can hold them to some field goals, that could, that could be all the difference in this game because they are not going to be able to stop Arizona per se. But if you hold them to a couple touchdowns, a few field goals, now you're looking at a reasonable number that Washington can work with in terms of what their offense can do. Whether they're playing, you know, with the four defensive backs or five, what's your opinion, Chris? Are we going to see Cam Williams start again this week, or would it surprise you if Brandon McKinney was in there? I, it wouldn't surprise me either way, Kim. I, I think that McKinney has shown that, that he's ready to go. I don't know why he wasn't to go earlier in the beginning of the season. I don't know if it was a situation where they were simply enamored with what Cameron Williams was doing. He was doing everything the right way. But Brandon McKinney has certainly become a bigger part of the discussion. So it wouldn't surprise me at all. And again, we're talking about whether Jimmy Lake's going to go base defense with his nickel or are they going to go dime or are they going to go heavier? All these decisions are going to go into whether or not he plays. But there's no question he's going to play a bunch because there's going to be a bunch of defensive backs that are going to be used and they're going to mix and match however the, the game plan dictates. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. It would have been interesting this week to be a fly on the wall in the offensive meetings because there was definitely some issues last week and they weren't able to, uh, you know, get the offense going. I thought in the first possession they had it rolling and then they went away from what was successful. And one of the things they're going to be missing, Scott, and you tell me how big of a difference it's going to be. They're going to be missing Richard Newton, but I expect those carries to maybe float all the way down to Kamari Pleasant, who's another one of the larger backs. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're definitely going to see that. I don't, I don't know if you'll see Kamari Pleasant too much. Maybe get five, you know, three, four, five touches at the most, something like that. I did write earlier this week that I thought this was a good opportunity over the next few weeks to kind of see what Cameron Davis has to has to offer if he's ready to go and he's got his blocking down, and because that's a big thing with Keith Bonifa is is how they pick up the blitz. But if Cameron Davis is available, I think you get him some reps. Uh, just see what he can do, see what he's got. Uh, get him some game action and, uh, you know, because none of us believe that Savon Ahmed is going to return next year. So if that's the case, you're going to need Cameron Davis to have some experience. And what better way to do that than now that Richard, Richard Newton's down, why not give him some some carries? But I think you're, the vast majority of the carries are going to go to Sean McGrew and to Savon Ahmed. And Sean McGrew has shown that he can get it done against a pretty big physical defensive line in BYU. He hasn't gotten as many carries over the last couple weeks that we maybe thought he would have gotten. So um, maybe this is a game that he busts out with, you know, 10 to 15 carries uh, along with Savon. And between the two of them, they have somewhere in the range of 220 to 225 yards. And Scott, you tell me if you agree with me or not, but I think Savon is so much better outside the tackles than he is inside the tackles. I don't think he's a physical runner. You see him flinch a lot of the time at contact. And it almost seems like at times – you know, they're just determined to run him through the middle. And it's almost a stubbornness to run Savon up the middle where that's not where he's best. No, you're you're 100% right. He's terrible. And I, well, okay, not terrible is probably a strong, too strong of a word. He's not very good at running in between the tackles at all. He always tries to break it outside, never seems to hit the hole very hard when it's right up the middle. And I've said that since he arrived here. I love Savon. I think he's a great person. I think he's an unbelievable athlete with a lot of speed. And I think he'd be a, he's really good in a certain role in Washington's offense. I don't think he's an every down back though. Sean McGrew, Richard Newton, probably Cam Davis. Those are more of your typical every down guys uh you know i don't think savon is that guy but he's gonna have to be that guy he's gonna have to get used to carrying the ball inside and get a little bit tougher because richard newton is going to be week to week but i would bet he's out at least two or three weeks at the minimum yeah it didn't the injury didn't look good you know the on a bright note you know chris peterson said it's not as bad as he originally thought but i'm sure when he said that richard newton was week to week he had a smile on his face chris well, yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> trust me, if, if, if he was done for the season, he would have told us. I mean, that's the one thing that you can gleam if you're looking for silver linings. I want to agree 100% with Scott's opinion on Cameron Davis. If you know if he's going to be out for three, four weeks, which I think could be very reasonable depending on the severity of the injury, this is the time you want to see Cameron Davis go. And if you want to give him a couple carries, and if all of a sudden he's gaining five and six yards a pop, you know, Keith Bonifa, feed the beast. 
You know, you got you got to feed the guys that are running running well. Doesn't mean you necessarily have to take a lot of carries away from guys like Savon Ahmed or Sean McGrew or even Kamari Pleasant, but it would be nice to see what he can do. And you never know um, what a guy like Cameron Davis could do. I mean, everyone we all saw it at least the media in terms of Richard Newton in spring and fall. We were all very intrigued, but again, until they actually go out with live bullets and see how they can how they compete and how they react, you just you have that question mark in your head. And if he can go out there. Saturday night and really do something special, that could be the beginning of something really, really, really interesting because now all of a sudden you don't have to rush back Richard Newton. You can give him maybe even an extra week on top of what he was doing before because I don't know if they're if they're aiming for a particular bye week because they still have a couple of those coming up down the road. Who knows what the time frame is going to be for, for Richard Newton. Get a guy like Cameron Davis in there, see what he can do. And if he's only needed for four games, then it's win-win. And if he's needed for longer than that, then throw him in now, get him ready, and hopefully he's a big enough of an impact guy that he plays not only just the last six games, but he also plays potentially a you know if they get you know get to a Pac-12 title game. I know I'm, people probably don't want to hear about that, but you know if they do make it, if they win out, for instance, and then if they get to a Pac-12 title game, that's one thing, and then they get to a bowl game on top of that. So now if he's playing eight games his true freshman season, burning someone's red shirt, no one's yeah. going to even blink blink when they see something like that. And I'm not sure that I would go that far down the depth chart because I think Kamari Pleasant has done a lot of nice things. And granted, we're not at practice, you know, but that bigger back, you know, that you lost in Richard Newton. And I'd like to see Kamari Pleasant step up. You know, he's been there. He's been under the spotlight, especially on a road game. You know, I, if you're going to divide the carries up, I'd sure like to see Kamari as that third back, you know, and wear them down a little bit and then go back to a Savon Ahmed or a Sean McGrew. But, you know, the thing of it was, as hard as Richard Newton was running, it was almost Chris Carson-esque. And then you change that up a little bit, you know, with a faster guy. But, uh, you know, Kamari Pleasant, he's that bigger back right now, and that's the guy I'd like to see. I don't know how you feel about it, Scott. Uh, you know, I haven't seen anything that really tells me that Kamari Pleasant would do anything other than just kind of get a couple carries. I don't, I, I, you know, I could be wrong and I would love it if I was wrong. And, um, maybe, maybe you're right. I don't know, but, uh, I just haven't seen anything from Kamari Pleasant that makes me think that he would be a guy who would be able to really fill in for a guy like Richard Newton. One thing I'd like to add real quick, Kim, is that I kind of have to remind people every once in a while that, when Lamont Coleman was hurt at Colorado a couple years back, it was Kamari Pleasant that filled in for him and did a really, really nice job when it came to pass protection, things like that. So I, I actually agree with you, Kim. I, I think, you know, given a guy like Kamari Pleasant, I don't know where he's been, but he could have been just biding his time and other guys were having the hot hand. But if he can get a couple carries and show that he's ready to go, I think one of the things, Scott, that, that maybe has deterred the coaches a little bit from using him more is that he's had some kind of happy feet in the you know right at the line of scrimmage, hasn't really done kind of the one cut and go and shown a real aggressive streak. He likes to kind of he kind of does the crazy leg move a little bit too much sometimes. He kind of reminds me a little bit of Lewis Rankin in that regard. And and Rankin was a really really good running back, but he wasn't that bigger bruiser type. And so I'm wondering if they're trying to get him to be more of that. Let's get up field. Let's you, let's play behind your pads. Let's use the weight that you have effectively <coughs> to be maybe more of a Richard Newton type. 
So we'll see what happens because I think he's got it in him. I just don't know if that's his natural style. And Chris, one of the other guys that really they need to get going. When we saw spring football and fall camp, Chico McClatcher was such a dynamic presence out on the field, and he was a difference maker. He just hasn't been able to do that much, and they haven't been able to get him in uh, a position to really do anything. And, you know, Chris Peterson even mentioned that they've got to get him going. No doubt. He said it on Thursday. He was asked specifically about Chico, and he says he's doing all the right things. He's working hard in practice. He's trying to get trying to get in there. They want to target him more. He's a guy that's on the list, you know, as a guy that needs to see the ball more, flat out. But again, if we if we want to draw back to what Hugh Millen was doing, and you look at that key uh, down, I don't remember if it was third or fourth down. I want to say it was a fourth down, the one where it was the crossing route that that was basically one of his few targets of the game. He just he kind of rounded it out. He gave up his position really easily so that he could get shadowed by the the Stanford defender. It was um, he just didn't really give him a lot of shake and, and a lot of. Uh, ability to try to separate himself and and that's that's concerning because that's something that's always been in Chico's arsenal. He's always had that in his toolbox, the ability to get separation, to find the space and then once he has the ball to get yards after the catch. For some reason this year that just has not been there. And Scott, one of the things that's really interesting is as many targets as Aaron Fuller had last week. I don't think that's strictly a coaching issue. I think a lot of that can lay at the feet of Jacob Eason and uh, using Aaron Fuller as his security blanket and not really looking to the other guys. Him and Hunter Bryant you know, are about the only two guys he seems interested in throwing the ball to. So I think this could be an interesting week to see what Jacob Eason does. You know, and when you're watching the game, Maybe watch Eason's eyes and see where he's looking and if, if he's coming back to that security blanket because I think this could be the week where you could see some other guys at the wide receiver spot really step up and get uh, some more targets. Well, I guess one of the questions that I have, and Pete mentioned this on Monday, that sometimes that's just dictated by where the coverage, and that's why Aaron Fuller was targeted so much was because the coverage was on the other side, and that's why he threw the ball to him a lot. You know, I – I, you know, you can say it's on the quarterback, but is the quarterback throwing it to a guy who's always covered? I don't think so. I, I think he's throwing it to the guy who's open on that play. How many targets did did uh, Fuller have? Was it fourteen or fifteen, something like that? It was seventeen. That was 17. the official. Yeah. Yeah, and he, and he had nine catches, right? Uh, and, at and, least. Yeah, yeah. At least that. Yeah. And yeah, maybe maybe it was twelve, but whatever it was, it was in that range. But. I mean, it's it's not like Aaron Fuller wasn't getting open. I mean, there some of his targets were straight up drops by him too. So, you know, I I guess I I would just disagree with your point that you know Eason's got him as his security blanket. I don't I don't think Eason has confidence has more confidence in one guy than the other at this point because all of them are dropping passes. I think he's just throwing the ball to the guy who's open. And taking a look at what you know, Hugh did, you know, the, the one guy that you know, really kind of jumped out is not doing a lot of things right was Hunter Bryant. Now, you know, we're only diagnosing a handful of plays, but boy, there's some things Hunter Bryant was doing that uh, really need to be cleaned up. Yeah, it, well, uh, I talked to Jordan Powpow on Wednesday when I met with the offensive staff, and Jordan Powpow, I, I said, is it fair of me to say 
that this was Hunter Bryant's worst game. And he says, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd go that far, but he said he was doing stuff that he shouldn't have been doing from the standpoint that, hey, he was trying to do too much. He wasn't focused on the right things. He wasn't focused on just doing his job. He was worried about doing other things that weren't even in his purview. So, or things that he should even be worrying about. So that's something that they've really focused on this weekend. I'd really like to see Hunter Bryant come back and, and have a really big breakout, breakout game uh, against uh, Arizona this weekend. I think he could. I think he's a mismatch anytime he steps on the field. Even though he isn't quite as explosive as, he's, as he had been, um, I still think he's one of the best wide receivers slash tight ends in the entire uh, Pac-12, and, and you got to use him, figure out ways to get him the ball. And, uh, Scott, one more thing to kind of keep an eye on a little bit. We saw that Jacob Kaiser had returned from not playing all year from the injury. He got blown up on an almost disastrous play, but where's Devin Cole? Yeah, yeah, I, I think just right right at this point, I, I you know, I don't know what to tell you on where Devin Culp is. Maybe he's in the doghouse again. Maybe Jacob Kaiser was just having a really good week of practice and they figured like they could put him in there and then he gets blown up on that play. So um, Jordan Powpows even mentioned to me, he said, he's just knocking the rust off right now. There's more rust than he would like, uh, as in Jacob Kaiser would like, and uh, they're going to have to knock it off before he really – gets into a groove, but, uh, you know, Jacob Kaiser is a valuable player in this offense, and I think Devin Culp will be a definite uh, guy that, that they'll they'll value here in, in a year or two, but right now he's fourth on that depth chart behind Bryant, uh, Kate Otten, and Kaiser. And, Chris, when you take a look at Devin Culp, he's, he's big. <laughs> he's a big dude. He is big, and uh, according to the notes – the Utah football notes. He played on uh, against Stanford, as did Jack Westover. So they've 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 got five guys now that they're using. They're utilizing at the tight end position. I suspect that uh, Kaiser's. I don't know if he's officially kind of shaken off the rust, but he got some game time in. He should be ready to go for Arizona. I think he is absolutely vital to helping that run game be the best that it can be, because when you add him and you add Hunter Bryant, and you add Kate Otten into the mix, and you can run some legitimate three tight end sets and really power up that run game. I think that that can be a real confidence boost for this offense because, again, this might be a situation much like Stanford. You, they can't get behind, and then they also run into the conundrum of what's the best way to to, to minimize Arizona's effectiveness offensively? It's to keep your offense on the field. At all times, if you can. So what does that typically mean? That typically means running the ball, running down the clock, chewing chewing up the yards, getting the you know, moving the chains, doing all of those things that they need to do to dominate time of possession. And sometimes even if that doesn't necessarily result in points, it could be huge in because it could change field position, it can change a lot of the factors in the game. And if they have that extra tight end, especially an experienced guy like Kaiser. I think he could be huge in that regard. One more guy in the tight end mix. Corey Luciano's been playing a lot as well. He has, but yeah, you know, we didn't even mention him. Yeah, but but again, you know, he's it seems like at least initially he was only in on those real power sets, those, you know, short yardage sets, those goal line sets. 
Um, I wonder if that's all he's going to be this year in terms of a real specific type tight end guy that they're going to use as offensive line. I mean, because it's interesting. We saw it against BYU, for instance, and 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 against. I don't. I'd have to go back and really look at it again because I wasn't focused on it. But at least against BYU, you saw some formations where they were they were off. They were out of balance. They they were running unbalanced lines. They would have both Trey Adams and Jared Hilbers on one side and have the tight end effectively be the tackle on the other side. And they were doing that to to try to maybe influence things a little bit. That might be something else that they can use to try to really get the run game going to help stabilize things and really put the time in their possession. And by doing that, keep Khalil Tate in that offense of Arizona on the bench. And Scott, I thought that the offensive line, that's the worst game that they've had in a while from what I saw. Um, I think the best way to cure that is with the guys that they've got on that team, make them be big, ugly, and nasty. And I expect them to come out and just pound the rock and really, really try to set that tempo with the run game rather than what they did last week was running the ball and then abandoning it for a while and trying to get cute and go to the passing game. But I'm expecting them to come out strong on the run. Yeah, they, they should they should be able to run against Arizona. They've got, they've got the guys, they've got the tailbacks that, that at least – you know, on paper, look like that they can get it done. So, um, yeah, I fully agree with you, Kim. I, I think Washington should be running the ball. I think one of the reasons that maybe Washington, and I've, I think I've, I can't remember who I've heard it said, maybe it was you, Chris, but somebody said that maybe Bush Hamden and Chris Peterson got so enamored with the arm that is Jacob Eason that they lost – track of what their true identity on this team is which is a run first team and a run heavy team and they didn't do that in the last 15 plays of last week's game they didn't throw up they didn't run the ball and they weren't at the beginning of that 15 play stretch they weren't down two scores they were only down one score so um, was that dictated a little bit by the way Stanford was playing up front? I think a little bit, but I think Washington also just seems to get so enamored. You get these ex-quarterbacks playing, you know, as the signal caller, and they're so enamored with how can I, how can I look real cool and, and show everybody how I can design plays and all this different stuff instead of just running the ball. The tried and true way to win football games on a regular basis and to dominate teams is to run the ball, and Washington hasn't been doing that that well this year. And Chris, you heard this over the offseason as well, that the coaches were visiting some air raid schools and wanting to incorporate some of the air raid um, nuances into this offense because basically some of the passes you run are just, you know, they're not really passes, they're extended run plays. Are you seeing a little bit of that? Well, I think we've seen that a little bit of that all season with just kind of those little dump down screens, those little, I mean, Eason's basically not even taking a full step from center before he's dumping it off to the side, whether it's to Fuller or, or someone else. But, you know, they, they have those things kind of in there a little bit, but I, I agree hundred percent with Scott. I mean, you know, when you are physically dominated now, Chris Peterson will say that he thought they played hard and I can get that. You can play hard and still get absolutely steamrolled. I mean, those are not mutually exclusive ideas. And I think, the only takeaway most fans, when they watched that game Saturday night against Stanford, they came out of there looking, they got manhandled. And what's the best way or what's the antidote to dealing with getting manhandled? It's to go out and manhandle somebody else and to be physical. And how do you do that, especially on offense? 
That's to set the tone early with your guys up front getting nasty and moving someone from point A to point B. That's how you do it. And you have to do it, and you do it by running the rock. And so I agree 100% with Scott. I think that's how they have to do it. they got to set the tone. And if that means running three tight ends out there, if that means running – you know, you know, playing in a phone booth like you'd normally see with you know Stanford. Maybe they have to take a pl- uh, a page out of the Stanford playbook this particular weekend because they they need to reestablish themselves as an aggressive physical team that is just going to run the ball down their throats and then take advantage in the play action and those types of things. And I think Washington's got the offensive line. I thought they had it last week when I saw the size of Stanford's defensive line and the way they operated in that first drive. I thought, you know, they could push them all over the field, but then they started going backwards instead of forwards with pass protection instead of run blocking. And you know Trey Adams well enough. You know Nick Harris well enough, Chris. You ask them if they'd rather pass block or run block. What do they got? What do they want to do? No, like I said, they want to take someone. I, I, I don't remember who it was. It may have been Caleb McGarry. It may have been someone else. But when they said, you know, they, they talk about the glee that's in their, you know, in their minds and, and, and what how they think when they can take someone and they can physically start at a point A and move them exactly where they want to be. And you do that in the run game. That's how you, you whether it's whether you're coming around and you're pulling or whether you're just blocking someone in a in a power scheme or something, when you're blowing people up and you're and you're pushing guys around and then the guys behind you are taking advantage of that, and they're moving the rock, and they're and they're moving the chains. There's nothing better than that for an offensive lineman. That's what they want to do because it makes their job easier in the pass game as well. Because once you have a defense on your heels like that, they're guessing. They don't know what's going to come next. And then you can get into a rhythm, not just as an offense, but now all of a sudden the offensive coordinator looks like a genius because he's in a, he's in a flow. He's in a play-calling rhythm. So it, everything kind of feeds off each other. But again, like Scott talked about, and I'll talk about it till my dying day, it starts with a run. That, that will catalyze everything. Trey Adams has the ability to cave in one whole side of the line. He's done it in every game. He did it against Stanford. Run behind Trey. Just give him the ball and say, run behind 72. And I think he, um, may, be, I think he may be a little bit more, even more motivated this week because of the way – the Stanford game ended because it was number 35. I don't remember his name, but that final drive where they were just trying to throw the ball down the field that he made Trey look, he made him look like he was standing still. And I'm sure when Trey looked at that film, uh, that got him going. I'm sure. This episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Big game against Arizona. Final thoughts, Scott Eklund. Uh, my final thoughts are this is a chance for, like Chris mentioned earlier, Washington has always seemed to bounce back pretty well And since Chris Peterson showed up here back in 20, uh, well, for the 2015 season in 2014. And, and I think Washington is in 
some pretty good shape, you know, to to get it done against an Arizona team. But are they going to get it done? Where are they at mentally? I think a lot's going to be said with the way Washington comes out in this game. If they come out early, dominate things. Granted, they did that against Stanford. Um, but if they come out early and dominate things, I think this one could go pretty well for the Huskies. But if they let Arizona hang around or let Arizona get a big lead and, and aren't able to stop them on third downs, it could be a very long night for Husky fans. Find thoughts, Chris Fetters. Yeah, I think uh, I'd like to see Washington kind of get back to where they're allowing Jacob Eason to be in the position where he's just kind of taking what's given. And I thought that was really what he was good at the first few weeks. And now whether that means catching you know, Hunter Bryant down a seam like he did at Hawaii early on and then kind of loosening things up, that's fine. But I think against Arizona, Saturday night, they're going to have to do it with the run. They're going to have to do it with Savon Ahmed. You know, they're going to have to do it with Sean McGrew. They're going to have to do it with Kamari Pleasant. They may even have to do it with Cameron Davis. I mean, it's, it's, they're going to have to find a way to be able to move the chains and, and, and get some chunks that way. And even if that move, that means some of those little quick screens and whatnot, I know everyone hates those kinds of things, but if they can, if they can get them going in such a way where, you know, they're, they're imposing themselves a little bit, that will, that will have myriad effects on this game. It will not only breed confidence for the offense, but again, it keeps Arizona's offense off the, off the field. And any way you can keep Khalil Tate off the field, and if J.J. Taylor's available, what I have no idea. It doesn't sound like it maybe, but who knows? I mean, they still have four other running backs that can do damage. So if you if you can keep those guys on the bench, that's your best that's your best way to be able to win this game on the road because it won't necessarily be a hostile atmosphere. It but again, Pac-12 after dark, crazy things happen. Washington has to be able to handle the swings. And the weird bounces of the ball, and the the potential turnovers, and the weird special team stuff that goes on with these games, because I guarantee you something weird's going to happen. A few things will probably happen that are going to be very weird. They just got to hold their their water. They got to maintain their poise, and they got to run the football. Bounce back week. Chris Peterson's teams, boy, they haven't lost two games in a row since what was it, 2015, 2016, Chris? 2015. 2015. Uh, I kind of see this team as a team that's been backed out in the backed into the corner. I think they're better athletically. I think they're better coached, and you know, having a little bit more motivation. And you know, they were a beaten favorite last week, coming off being a beaten favorite. It's always a good bet in Vegas, but uh, I expect Washington to come out and really try to dominate this game, get off to a fast start. And I expect them to do something different that they didn't do last week. No turnovers against Stanford. I expect that to be different this week with Khalil Tate uh, at quarterback, forcing him to stay in the pocket. And this secondary is a different animal than they faced in Colorado. So it'll be down in the desert, 8 o'clock kickoff, which means I'll probably get out there hopefully by 2 a.m. and about an hour and a half drive back to Phoenix. I got a 10 o'clock flight on Sunday morning, so it should be fun. Uh, just a reminder for those of you who want those daily updates as well as breaking news alerts, shoot us a note, huskystadium at gmail.com, subject line newsletter. We will get you hooked up. Also, a reminder, date game day, Saturday afternoon. Scott and Chris, you will be on what time, on, what time this afternoon? 4 o'clock. 
you'll be on at four o'clock as the warm up act to the Husky Honks. And, uh, you know, tell your friends, tune in to not only KGR, but listen to our podcasts and go out there and give us a good review. Give us five stars and uh, help us out with the podcast. It's going to be a bigger part of what we do down the line. And for those of you who don't subscribe to dogman.com, Give us a shot. It was a lot of good stuff all year round. And December's always a little bit crazy with recruiting coming up. And, boy, it's not that far away. So for all of us at Dogman.com, I'm Kim Grinolds along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Go dogs. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.